Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What could be Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 85 of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the journey in which you, the dear listener, come with me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. What is that you might ask? Well, simply put, it's the most ethereal, spiritual, emotional, transformative, loving, sexual, financial, just simply the highest form of being that you could possibly become. And how do you achieve that, you ask? Well, it's very, very simple. We watch every single movie the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicolas Cage, has ever made. Hope you're well. Hope you've been keeping good this week. It's been a good week uh, for your boy. Uh, Saw Red Rocket at the cinema. That was very good. Uh, I've got a box set of The Godfather turning up in a few days at the point of recording this introduction. So now I can watch all The Godfather films on that there Blu-ray and then be like, I've seen Godfather and sound like I'm all cultured and stuff. Um, Never as cultured as I am when watching Nick of this Cage, though. Speaking of which, this week's movie we move on to is 211 cop action thriller from 2018 directed by York Shackleton. Um, This was a lot of fun, as mentioned, joined by the returning Travis Roy on this episode. And we discuss uh, such things as the, the many, many characters in this movie, including sharing our dislike for Randall, the many textbook cop cliches, and we talk about the events that allegedly inspired this movie, the 1997 North Hollywood shootout. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to give a follow on all the social medias. Uh, Give a five-star rating on the streaming service of your choice. Always greatly appreciated. The link's in the description as ever. But with that said and done, let's get right into this one. It's 2.11, Daryl Edge, Travis Roy. Duh. We are halfway now through 2018, as this week we arrive at the crime action film 211. This week, Cage stars as Mike Chandler, an aging cop who gets caught in the midst of a mercenary-led bank heist. Now, returning on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if 211 is the number one, or just a bog-standard number two, is one part of the Cinema 9 podcast, Travis Roy. Travis, welcome back. How are you doing? Hey, Daryl. I am doing good. Thanks for having me back. I got to say, it's a real honor not just to be back on the show, but to know that I am at the level of Cage fandom that when you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel because you know that you're doing a movie that is famously one of his worst, you're like casting about trying to find someone who would debauch themselves (laughs) by, by spending time with the film. 211 from York Alex Shackleton. Well, of course, me, Travis Roy. Happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> when I go to guests for this podcast, I scour the hive of scum and villainy that is the internet. <laughs> 
for the lowest of the low uh, <laughs> <laughs> to join me for these less than 10 percenters. You found um, And I, <laughs> not once, but twice, you sucker. That's free labor. I do hope if you invite me back, it's for a good Cage film, maybe, but. Uh... Uh, I wouldn't count on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, um, we'll, see how, we'll see how you perform. Consider this a uh, your probation extended, sucker. <laughs> Um, for future for future podcasts, fair enough. Um, I think as we sort of touched on a lot there. I mean, this one. Um, I, I think first of all, I go address it. It is two eleven, not two one one, as I've been yep. saying. I think to people like an idiot in the run up to this one. It's, but I know it's based on um the, the, the cop code. It's like a highway a hundred code or something. I think I read. Yeah. But it's specific to California, and it takes place in Massachusetts, apparently. Which, whatever, two eleven. <laughs> okay, uh, now we know it. It means bank robbery, right? I think so. it, it's a Californian cop code, but the film is set in a fictional town in Massachusetts. Um, two... Chesterford, which is just not like those two. Chester Ford, it's Chesterfield, right? There's no Chester Ford, but okay. I mean, Chesterford, to be fair, it sounds like somewhere that would be in England. So I was like, that that rings true. <laughs> okay, Finally, not, not one of these silly American names. What was it last time we were talking about uh, Southern Fury? It was... Biloxi, um, Mississippi, wasn't it? Uh, it was like Sasquatch Sassafras. In... <laughs> <laughs> it's some... uh, Cowboy Blue Jeans Pie, I think it was. Uh, I forget <laughs> Big Mac McBook foot. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know where it was. Um, it's one of those delightful names that always makes me smile. Um, but here it's uh, the very respectable, humble, fictional Chesterford in Massachusetts. Massachusetts probably also not a place you totally cannot fictional. convince me that America exists. And then two one one is the code. I think. Two eleven. I'm saying it now. I think two one one just sounds better, even though it's, you know, I think the most popular one I would know is like, oh, it's ten four. I'd say I've received it, but if you don't say hundred and four, that's a hundred and four. The like, body count. What you're talking about? I don't know. Um, yeah, and then when it, when it's a homicide, they say one eight seven. No one says one eighty seven. Hmm. No, I, we don't. I, I think for our place over here, it's just like there's been a burglary. Um, <laughs> I don't think we have number codes. And then everyone anything. they put your tall they put their tall hats on and grab their like their bobby sticks or whatever, and then run. Yeah, the piano music. It's just ten bobbies in a row running with like the police helmet over their nose, hooked in, just beating up a chimney sweep. Got um, it. Because it's, We're doing still- it's a real. <laughs> it's still 1805 here um electricity never heard of her um but n- nothing like that i think it's just all we've done gone got a crime in the progress this one um four percent on rotten tomatoes again if you take rotten tomatoes into account it is as we were saying in terms of critical appraisal one of cage's uh, lowest, you know, at, at this point, you know, we've we've started Cages twenty eighteen with uh, Mandy. We've got two or one sort of slap bang in the middle. We're coming up to the likes of Teen Titans Go to the Movie and Spider Man to the Spider Verse. So, um, 
again, we're, so, we're, we're nearly out of the straight-to-DVD phase. We're, oh, we're so close to being out of the cage, kind of sleepwalking through roles phase here. Um, and this is a movie as well. I think it's important to address at the top of this here. Um, Cage wasn't a fan of it. He didn't like it. He said um, the movie was completely recut and transformed with new story points. It was not the script that I'd agreed to make. It was really disappointing. I had no idea it would go there. Hmm. Um, So he's voiced his disappointment in this. And I think Cage's role here, maybe one of the... Not brilliant, I think, with what we're given. Um, <laughs> there's like no information about the budget, no information what this might have made in box office or DVD sales. For all intents and purposes, it's just idiots like us, cage completionists, who, <laughs> who watch this. But obviously, as we're going to start breaking this down, this was a first time watch for me. Um, was this a first time watch for you as well? It was. Unfortunately, it wasn't the first time I watched a York Alec Shackleton movie, though. I actually watched his follow-up to this that came out last year with Guy Pearce called, uh, it's called Disturbing the Peace, and it's literally the exact same movie, only (laughs) instead of mercenaries, there are a bunch of bikers. Right, sure. Yeah, it was terrible. Actually, it it was this only worse. So for that, I'm thankful. 211 is actually better than disturbing the peace. I mean, I was looking into York Shackleton, and for a name as rad as York Shackleton, that's the best name I've ever heard. Um, Speaking for... of sounding British. <laughs> he will be in shackles when I'm finished with him. Um, York Shackleton, former pro snowboarder from the mid to late 90s, turned producer, turned director, had a few documentaries under his belt. Uh, then he th- thought, you know, you know, I'm ready for Cage. You are not ready for Cage. How he dare you? <laughs> know your place, Shackleton. <laughs> um, York Shackleton, though, it sounds like the kind of name that Matt Berry would have made up in one of his sitcoms, like Toast of London or something. It's just, I was just looking at the name, I just had to say it a few times, like, in like a Matt Berry voice, like, York Shackleton! <laughs> that's the only way this name works for me otherwise massachusetts isn't real york shackleton isn't real this film isn't real (laughs) the conspiracy the 2018 conspiracy 2017 18 conspiracy continues if you look at his imdb page too you can see like a picture of his face and i've never seen a less york shackleton looking person in my life (laughs) i think it may like like, what was that name was that biggie Shackleton or something like an explorer or something. Oh, you mean like the Shackleton expedition to the North Pole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if there's some kind of relation there, and York's just letting the side down. He's turned <laughs> on his snowy roots. <laughs> He's just betrayed the Shackleton heritage. Um, I I feel betrayed at least. I mean, even though I'm not a Shackleton, I did watch this movie, and that was a betrayal to all that I know and love about Cage. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is definitely one of Cage's shorter films as well, though. I think this came at about 86, 87 minutes, um, which I suppose in the, I guess the last two thirds of the film are fairly brisk because I'm trying to break up. Like the first 10 minutes are kind of almost needlessly lengthily set in Afghanistan. And then it's a lot of police stuff for about 
65, 70 minutes, and most of that is explosions and shootouts, which you would think sounds fun um, on paper. This could have been, it almost should have been just a, a bog-standard heist film, a bog-standard action heist film. Could have been passable, um, but it got the Shackleton experience. This is the man who um, g- gave us in snowboarding, I think like the, the front side rodeo or the rodeo front or... The reverse cow I don't know. He made up a move, and apparently it was good. Um, but um, did you? I think if you look at the plot on this, and you think, "Oh, it's just going to be a big shootout film," did you expect different? Because I, I expected to have. I, I don't know if emotional emotional investments maybe giving it a bit too much credit, but I thought maybe there's going to be some kind of fun to be had with this. But I felt. Uh, homicidally calm watching <laughs> watching all of this i don't know if it was similar for you i, I i'm not sure that i knew 100 percent what to expect i went in pretty blind which is how i try to do most movies when i can i did think as it got started i was if, if the first i mean the opening i'm like how many characters are you going to introduce which ones are important and which ones aren't i'm learning people's names who never come back into the film at all uh for instance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that so it was like it was kind of all over the place and there you know this is a what 123 minutes i think total or excuse me uh, like an hour and 23 minutes and when a film is that short every second that doesn't have nicholas cage in it is a moment wasted and we get like he doesn't show up on screen until I think like 16 minutes in or so. And he is just like driving a car. Then like another few minutes later, we see a picture of him. Then we see him again a little while later and he's still not speaking. To, he doesn't speak until 20 minutes in. And this first line is something like same old shit. So my first thoughts was like, <laughs> where the fuck is cage? Where is this movie going? Is this going to be a bunch of people without him? And then once it got started, I was like, okay, uh, a movie that was basically, you know, heat without like all the extraneous stuff would be kind of cool if it was just, you know, if they had taken out some more of that beginning, make you relate to the people kind of stuff. And it had it been just a straightforward heist movie, like from the cast perspective, it could have been, I could, it could have been cool. It kind of surprised me in some ways. And I could see where on paper, the script where he would sign on for it, you know, uh, at least based on what I saw. Yeah, I entirely agree, because the, there is a perfectly serviceable film in here. What should have been... <laughs> I didn't see it, but um, <laughs> you was, that's a note I made like numerous times throughout when I was watching this, when I was watching this movie, that um, this film just keeps introducing characters, because um, you've got like... Uh, the mercenaries and sort of like the the mob boss at the start, and then you've introduced like more and more cops, and then it's uh, Kenny and his mother who brought him from Ride Along, and there are school teachers, and there are bullies, and then there are more cops, and then there's a SWAT team, and then there's people in the ER, uh, and then there's people at the cafe, at the restaurant. It keeps going. It just keeps going and going. <laughs> and I think. I think by about like 30 minutes in the film, I was like, who the fuck are any of these people? I, <laughs> I could, without looking at like the cast on like IMDb or Wikipedia, and I just had a quick look then. I think there's like, just scrolling on my phone here, close to like 30 people in this. And as you said, most of them are com- unnecessary. You don't know who they are. Um, it's just as adding 
it's like it was trying to tell a bunch of different stories and have all these perspectives and uh, stuff, and it was just like, I, uh, where's Nick? I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all all any of us want is Nicholas Cage, but instead we're getting this backstory. Take the take the bank manager, this this character. I think his name was oh, Randall, this big yeah. fellow who just is speaking like he's selling hot, like honey mustard in a commercial or something. I don't know. It's like very, <laughs> it's very, he's, he's, he's on a whole different register than everybody else. And we, we get like his opening sequence with his wife and all this stuff. And we're supposed to like, I guess, care about the character so that later on when he stands in front of a gun and calmly, warmly invites the guy to shoot him in the face. And he does, we, we, we will care, I guess. And they do the same thing with McAvoy, who is uh, the, the partner of of cages chandler where like we don't really get much development other than other than that we learn that he finds out that day that he's going to be a father so you're like well you're fucked uh and then you know <laughs> they just spent a bunch of time with him having these flashbacks and like looking at trees and all this stuff trying to make us feel things and like he could have just maybe not introduced so many characters and made us care about him in other ways yeah i mean it's like a perfect example being the bank manager there, because at that point, you know, um, you've been introduced to uh, the ex-Special Forces mercenaries. We've got Interpol agent Rossi, who just keeps turning up and is largely useless, doesn't do anything. No idea she's, why she's there. Just turns up at about at four different points and says, Interpol agent Rossi um, does nothing. <laughs> uh, we're introduced to, like, Kenny and his bullies. We're introduced to uh, uh, Cage's character's partner, Steve, who's his son-in-law and his daughter, then we're introduced to like the bank manager, and it's like, why you? You don't have to introduce all of these characters. You know, you don't need to have a backstory for every character. And I know if Shackleton had had his way, he would have <laughs> given us. If we got the Shackleton cut of this, this would be three hours for just backstories oh, yeah. of everyone in the bank. I mean, <laughs> again, you were saying like Randy, like the perfect example, um, because. To raise the Randy stakes, I don't know why, but like it's his anniversary of him and his wife. Right, She's just like, oh, like you've been called into work in your anniversary, and his voice is like it's just deceptively calm all the time. It's like, well, someone's yeah. got to open the bank. Uh, well, I will, I will, I will tell Kirsty to close the bank, and then he's just this big guy, like puffing his chest out, pigeon chesting it to the max, like. Come on then, come on then, little man. Pause, 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 pause. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but he might as well. Might as well. Um, and my t- two of my favourite moments is the first is when Randy gets hit in the gut with a gun, made me laugh. Yeah. The second is when he gets shot in the head <laughs> because, because sits back down. <laughs> sits back down. Um, I mean, t- to be fair, like it's it is established that you know the mercenaries, special forces. They know what they're doing. They are dangerous. So it's not like his death came out of nowhere. And I was kind of thinking, no, like they will kill you. This isn't a bluff. You are going to die. And then he did get shot. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and then my one of my next favorite bits is like they um, have a quick shot of some of the people who were like crouched down, like the hostages in the bank reacting. And there's one girl who just looks with the blankest stare like she forgot. She didn't hear them say action. She's like, boom. <laughs> Uh, I, I actually suspect that there was more that ended up on the cutting room floor about Randy, where we learned that he actually was hiding from his wife, that he had inoperable cancer and was welcoming death because that's basically what he like stands in front of the gun. It's like, yes, shoot me. 
please God, shoot me. <laughs> he gets what he wishes for. <laughs> you know what? You joke about that, but my the note I made was, um, I'm starting to think he was desperate to get out of the anniversary plans. <laughs> Because yeah, it's it's obvious at this point that they've killed a bunch of people around him. Like he knows they're not fucking around. I like they obviously they break in and then they're um they they've kind of got this whole plan. So I suppose we just talk about the mercenaries here. Yeah. The film starts in Afghanistan, and we're in Afghanistan for an, an inordinate amount of time. Like they're quite clearly in a quarry next to the set uh, with just <laughs> yeah. one building. It looks um, like New Hampshire. <laughs> and then there's like two, like the, the first shots of the film are just like close-ups of a computer screen where it's just like 1995 green loading bar going wow, wow, transferring. Um, ominously transferring. Ominously Matrix era transferals of cash. Yeah. Um, these X forces, these mercenaries were involved with some kind of mob boss, but he was like, the feds are getting too close. And so we transfer the cash all over. So then they ambush him to find out where the cash has gone. Um, a shootout entails. In, in uh, there's RPGs. There's a car that just drives into a JCB, aims for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, tell us one bank. Just one bank. Just one bank. Just tell us a bank. Just tell us a bank. Uh, pff, Chesterford, Massachusetts. Ta That's the first 10 minutes. Which, right there, I'm like, couldn't you have gone to rob any bank? Why does it have to be a bank that holds one of the deposits from this dude? It's, it's it, kind right? of... Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. And, th and as far as I'm concerned, Randy knows about this dirty money. <laughs> he's in on it. <laughs> he was trying to get shot so his his names all looks clean and clear before the news comes out to his poor mm. grieving wife. Yeah. There's something shifty about him in his sweater vest. Yeah, like a man who's like that uh, whose flesh is that dry and not drenched. <laughs> like he was sus and this is not a quote I say lightly, suspiciously dry. Mm. Um so like look the, the Randy conspiracy is out there. <laughs> If you ask me, he was he was the fifth man. He was the fifth beetle. He was the <laughs> he was the, the second shooter man. on the grassy yeah. knoll. Um, if we get <laughs> if we get the Shackleton cut, we're gonna find some shit out about Randy, and I'm putting it on the record. Release the Shackleton cut. <laughs> uh, Shackles, Shackleton, Shackleman. If you're listening, and if you're not a coward. Um, why don't you do a front rodeo flip and uh, get that Shackleton cut out? You won't do it. You ain't got the stone, Shackleton. Um, but then, then they sort of come off and they're in a, a warehouse with all these guns and this ammo and grenades and God knows what else. And then this is one of many times where, um, as we touched on earlier, Agent Rossi's character turns up. Um, and Agent Rossi is an Interpol agent played by Alexandra Dinu. Hopefully I pronounced that surname correctly. But it's the classic uh, dogged, determined Interpol agent. And I was thinking beautiful, about Naturally beautiful. <laughs> I mean, like all Interpol ha agents. Has to be. There's no ugly Interpol agents. Um, <laughs> and I, I was kind of thinking about this. When it, you get this kind of thing, like, like the, the determined, gotta crack this case agent, 
they're always dogged and determined. There's no one who's had a day off. Um, Agent Rossi is there. She's intercepted before she can arrest a, an antiquities smuggler. Um, and then all she does for the rest of the film is kind of just turn up, flash her badge. And like inexplicably, inexplicably get really interested in one particular officer in this whole melee. Well, Officer Chandler learned what these men are capable of. Like she's just hung up on Chandler because I guess she knows he's the protagonist. It's I don't know. Look, I don't even know what Interpol is. I know Interpol's <laughs> a band, and that's all I can tell you. Um, that's, well, that's what she is. She she's she represents the band. Actually, it's very complicated. <laughs> she represents one of my favorite bands. Like, <laughs> hmm, Rossi. I didn't see you last time I saw them live. <laughs> um, and then even then, I've just thought like now we'll be talking only about the characters that keep getting introduced. There's like a whole like two three minute scene of her speaking to that gun shop manager. With also, which this is the worst ADR I've ever seen in any film in history. Yes. You noticed too? Yes. It's really bad. I'm like, why is this guy talking like, I don't know, is it Barry White? Like, this is not his <laughs> voice. I don't believe this at all. <laughs> this, this, like, one of my notes here, like, there's two main things that I picked up. So the reason that she goes is because they just know that he's got a connection to one of the mercenaries because they serve together. And in this scene alone, she says, um, she's like, oh, do you know this guy called Trey? Trey sent me. He's like, and I suppose for the voice, the dubbing here, it sounds like it had just been redubbed over. It's like, oh, yeah. So if the normal audio was like this, then suddenly we're in here. It's like, I don't know anyone called Trey. It's, <laughs> it's really it's, up front, like close. You're right. <laughs> it, it was like they just stuck the boom mics in this guy's mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm so happy you noticed too. <laughs> Oh, like, as soon as that scene, like, started, like, when they were, I think even when they were outside and then they went in, I was like, now, I know I've got some new headphones recently, but this doesn't, <laughs> this isn't right. This is off. This is, like, just wrong here. Um, but then, like, this whole scene, though, she goes in, she gives him the picture, and he's like, I don't know anyone called that. And then the camera just looks up to him, looking to the framed photo behind him. <laughs> and he's like... Yeah, fair one. Um, <laughs> and just gives himself up. I was like, unreal. Unreal stuff. Well, I think she may have been looking at the picture first and he followed her gaze, I hope. That would make more sense. He realized that it was over his shoulder. I, I hope that's the case, but you're right. It kind of happened at the same time. They It's like they both went... If I mean, if the ADR was going to be like that bad i think they might as well have added in the um the sound effect from the price is right when they lose a game if they added also, that throughout yeah. the film it would have been like <laughs> yes <laughs> i would have given it five stars you know uh I, I also feel like that scene served no function because we don't even really know how she found this guy and then we don't really she doesn't really do much with that information that i recall i think she she tells this horse guy i think the the captain of the swat team she tells him something later but i don't really feel like there was a lot to be gleaned from what from that whole scene no i'm trying to like think about the um the arc of rossi here so she was, was in afghanistan one? i mean no but um <laughs> <laughs> she was in afghanistan trying to find this antiquity smuggler then she gets 
called up, put, well, rank gets pulled, and she's on the case of the mercenary sh- shootout. Um, then I think there's like uh, Afghanistan and American military police, I guess, trying to solve it. She pulls rank and takes the case. Then she goes to the gun smuggler. I think then, I guess he must have told her because there's a scene where she goes to a warehouse where the mercenaries were operating and she just happens to find a scrap of paper on the floor that tells them exactly what they're going for. Oh, that's right, yeah. Um, (laughs) Conveniently finds the one unshredded bit of evidence that gives away their entire scheme. Okay, yeah, you're right. Um, And then she turns up when the police and SWAT are planning their breach of the bank and then at the end, she fires two bullets into one of the guy in the mercenaries, and that's basically all she does. Yeah, it justifies her whole existence in the movie when she shows up at the end to put the second round into the tray. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we're sort of, um, you know, talking about the mercenaries again, and obviously they're like they're, they're a quacks cracks squad. Quack. I mean, they are quacks. They are, quacks. They are a quacks. <laughs> I mean, to this film's limited credit, it does establish that they are dangerous, which is mm-hmm. like, I was like, okay, like you've you've done that at least. Um, but then it's kind of like, you know, their the plan was to go to this bank, which, and it's not really established how much they're after. Um, I think they said they say to a the guy at the start, it's like, I think they just pull a million out of their ass. There's yeah. like a, oh, you made us angry. That's a million dollars. They go to a bank. And it seems like they've got it like mostly figured out. Um, I think the whole thing was Cage, the dogged cop, was going to follow up on like a parking violation or something. And then they just completely give the game away. Like if, I think it was, I can't remember his name. There's, the, there's, there's, um, a guy who plants like a bomb in like a cafe. I think it's yeah, hide. hide. Yeah, hide. Like if a Shackleton was... regular, actually. <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. He is. <laughs> like if his character had just played it cool and would just be like, "Oh, sorry, officer. Like I'll, I'll move the car. Write me up on the ticket or whatever." That whole thing, that whole operation, could have gone without a hitch. But he's like, the only sane thing to do now is set off a bomb and open fire at the police. <laughs> so they've gone through all this planning and then they just give it away and I'm skipping ahead here and then yeah. you know, there's whole shootouts there's casualties, there's injuries and their whole get out escape plan, realise that they've already like, set bombs they've taken out a bunch of SWAT and then their final plan is just to run out into the open where yeah. the SWAT are and get shot it's amazing it's it's amazing. Like what what is the function of bombing the diner? Is it a distraction? You're gonna kill eight people for a, a distraction or something? All I know is that if there's four of you and you're splitting a million dollars and you're bombing places, killing civilians by the scores, like maybe you want to readjust your, you know cost-benefit analysis sheet here because i feel like 250 grand a piece when you're when you're staring down like the death penalty this doesn't seem quite worth it to me but that maybe that's why i'm not a mercenary or a bank robber with that attitude you're not going to make it in the criminal underworld uh let me tell you go far (laughs) i think i think that's right though they'd set the bombers it seemed like it must have been like a plan b distraction and i suppose they were they were hoping that 
uh, Mike and Steve were going to get distracted, but because they had Kenny, who was their ride-along, they were like, oh, it, it's possibly terrorists. We're not going anywhere near that because we've got a kid in the car with us. Right. So we're just going to take the easier task of um, just looking at this uh, this black parked-up Escalade. Um, obviously, didn't, didn't quite work out that way, and then yeah. it all just kind of kicks off for the rest of the film. But then talking about Kenny there as well, that's kind of just like... Again, a character that doesn't necessarily need to be there. It's just like, oh, we've let's just add a character for the sake of raising some stakes. That's literally the only reason he exists in the film is to, is to raise some stakes and to, and to show you like a soft side to Chandler's character when they kind of connect, I guess, a little bit. And he says like the, the stock phrases of I care about you, strange child. But it's really <laughs> just, I mean, you take the Kenny character out, you take the Rossi character out, you spend less time with some, like the whole SWAT team. There's like this woman cop and this other sniper that we get like way too much time with. And I don't know why, like they're, they're like giving each other a hard time. Like you take yeah. a few of these people out and you actually could become invested in characters like McAvoy and Chandler, even and like you could, you could, you could be, you could learn more about them. I'm not against backstory by any stretch. I'm just like, it's just, such a scatter shot. Even the fucking uh, doctor in the ER is is the is Kenny's mother. So we get this whole other element of where she's you know operating while distracted <laughs> and on the phone all at once. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, every character has got two other characters that know about this character, and those two characters have got four, then eight, then sixteen. It's just a whole like crazy family tree of just like just a whole like pin board of connections and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's like Kenny's character is just a, a bullied high schooler um, who's sort of wrong place, wrong time, gets seen like uh, right hooking and knocking out a bully. Um, and then he's put into um, uh, a ride along. I, I think that this is like this just isn't a thing in, think, in a UK school. I think that kid would have been either put into isolation or just straight up expelled. Um, uh, I was waiting for that because I'm like, I'm like, at what point will, will Daryl ask me, "Is this a thing that happens in America?" I have be able to, to know because you don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> My answer is very, very rarely, and I think only on TV and in movies. I've never known it. Like, I know that like you can request a ride along, but I don't know. I've never really heard of it being used as a punishment. Like in this case, I've never heard of that. I, I was going to say, like, obviously, I'm not doubting that there's a very Hollywoodized version yeah. of events here by any stretch, but it's it's this head teacher going like, "Well, either you go and sit in a car with Nick Cage for an hour, where nothing bad will happen, <laughs> or you're out of this school." Uh, and uh, where you're at? <laughs> this is head teacher speaking to um Kenny's mother. It's like, well, he didn't come to us. Like here we have an initiative called if a te- if a teen's being mean to a oh. teacher, come clean. And then I was like, boo. It was it was right about at her scene, that principal scene, where I was like, man, casting directors are really important, and they probably shouldn't go <laughs> to, like, the local playhouse or whatever and just ask people, hey, you want to be in a movie? We won't even audition you. Just You're welcome. Come on down. You're in. And that's how you get fucking Randall's making it through the tape, making <laughs> it through the screening process. Honestly, watching the movie, I made a note about his wife, the woman that plays his wife, and uh, we never see it other than that one scene. I'm like, oh, I think we might actually have a decent actor in this movie. Then we never see her again. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, we got we got three times as much Randall to one wife. The, the, yeah. 
Like the, the Randall to wife ratio is just off. Um, oh, big time. <laughs> I, I don't care for it personally. All right. Um, but then it's um, going on the ride along, and um, it's it, the scene after this is well, and obviously we were talking about this earlier. This is where we're just getting introduced to like character, 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 character. Then we have a bit of plot. Then character, 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 character. Um, and this is like a scene between um, Steve and Lisa. Lisa is um, Chandler's daughter. Steve is his son-in-law. And here, there's so much cop cliche exposition oh that also then has um, zero relevance after this scene, and it's not effective or relevant to Cage's character in any way, shape, or form. Um, Just pure melodrama. It's it's so much melodrama. You find um, Chandler is facing retirement. He lost his wife to cancer. He's not good at talking about his... Um, well, not good at talking. Basically, he's yeah. difficultly talking about his emotions, and he's like every other cop cliche you want. Just throw it in there. It, yeah. He's a melting pot of, and this film really is a melting pot of cliches. Dude, at one point, there's a scene where the l- lieutenant literally says, "I got the mayor crawling up my ass." I'm like, "Fuck you!" Cliches. <laughs> 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 I, I I saw some reviews of this um, before I started started watching it, and a lot of it was the same critique. It was like cliche written, cliche heavy, cliche, yeah. cliche, cliche. And I was like, okay, like the the lead cop is like, the, you know, he is what he is. We've seen it a thousand times before, and then suddenly I got the mirror crawling up my ass. I was like, <laughs> fuck yes, that's the one. That's cliche bingo. That's a full house. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like I think it's only it's only in movies where mayors the only purpose of the mayor is to crawl up ass. They get <laughs> they get their hiking kit out, they gape a cavity, and they go hiking up a fucking anus, man. That's all that mayors do. They don't do anything else. They don't leave cops alone. That's <laughs> all they're good for. I mean, there's there's always some angry. Uh, officer of some kind just waiting to be rebuked by the mayor up his ass <laughs> it's like look hollywood let's look at the world around us like internationally the cops don't have uh, the the greatest sort of profile at the moment um their reputation is on pretty pretty low do we need to get in their ass as well um <laughs> i'm just you know that's that, that's the question i'm i'm putting out there and the movie clumsily tried to play with that idea a little bit by being like, uh, you know, Cage's character talking about how he got to enjoy the good old days when you could, you know, boot stomp someone's face and no one was recording it live, that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, I kind of get the feeling that you were a bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good point because he, I think it's that bit where he's sort of talking to Kenny in the car as well. Yeah. Because Kenny's um, films then go into like a... Um, a gas station because there's a guy in dreadlocks um there's like they, oh. yeah they rip, they whip their guns out for this whole thing too it's a, it's a he's suspected of petty theft and they're like they don't want to they don't want to escalate later when they think there's a uh you know bank robbery but someone stole a carton of cigarettes and they both pull their guns on it what the fuck it's called priorities man um <laughs> there's there's an honest clerk in that store who's losing good profits 
because these ragamuffins, these ne'er-do-wells and villains keep stealing his cigarette cartons. Um, but it's 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 a fantastic point there because he says he's like, oh, you can't do anything these days without having a camera pointed in your face, and you sort of think like that with um, I guess his angle is like the old jaded cop that there might be a sort of um, I don't know like an old versus new dynamic like him, yeah. Maybe they're going to teach some stuff about to each other about life, and that's just not a thing. The purpose of the phone just seems to be like. Oh, social media that these days, it's a thing. Also, would you mind recording my dying son-in-law's declaration before he, before he passes out? Kenny went through a lot of shit. Um, <laughs> my favorite part is when uh, Cage is basically like, Kenny, save my fucking partner's life. Hold this, this tourniquet. Save his life, man. <laughs> this is at the part with the first shootout. Like, Steve's trapped in the car, he's cut himself out, then he's shot in the leg, he's bleeding out, and then it's kind of like, oh, just like, hold on, we're going to try and get you out of here. It's like, I'm going cold, man. I'm going cold. Oh, I'm going cold, man. I'm going cold. <laughs> and he just, it's like, would you just, just, and then one of the things I didn't quite, I, I suppose it comes into effect, like, later when Kenny's in the back of the car, and suddenly he knows how to, like, hotwire a fucking charger, which is never established, but That's not a thing. There's he, like a, literally, he takes a, like a Duracell and charges his cell phone with it. That's not a thing. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he just like crams the nine volt battery in the side of this phone, and it gives it like five percent charge. It's like yeah. no. Um, then he's he's sort of filming it because like look, I, I just need you to film this because I don't know if I'm going to make it out to my wife. And there's like the camera has a shot of like the phone battery, which is like ten percent. Um, yeah. Then at the time it's kind of not relevant, but then it's like the only purpose is that so Kenny can call his mom later and give her some drama. But a cynical part of me thought Kenny was going to go, "Can you die a little quicker? We're we're on. We're, we're you, this is going to cut out any second. I'm going to need you to wrap this up. I've got to make a call here. Like you're you're just starting to blubber now. Can we wrap this up? <laughs> I'm literally an innocent high school student in the middle of a shootout. Like this is a lot for me. The um, most traumatizing day of Kenny's life by far. He wishes that he, his, <laughs> that he was hanging out with his head in the urinal. <laughs> I miss the sweet days of just, like, piss. I miss the days of piss. The good the old swirlies, days. The swirlies and the beating would probably be preferable to this. But my favorite part also is that he, like, is when he's getting ready to film uh, Steve's speech, his farewell speech to his wife, he steps away from the car to, like, get a better angle. I'm like, dude, like you're actually in a firefight right now. Never mind that none of the audio here is going to be picked up because Nick Cage is four feet away firing a gun. But you just put your head like directly in the like he literally stands up where his head is past like the hood of the car. I'm like, you're you're going to get shot in the head any second, Kenny. I mean, if you know, you've got to do it for the vine. You've got to do it for the. You've got to do it for the video. He's for the vine. <laughs> He was committed to the bit. Um, <laughs> he was. You know, I can't, I can't fault him for that. But uh, at the same time, as well, he's. Um, th- there was another bit in the shootout where I just kind of had the laugh of how it was a quick thing, but it was really stupid. Obviously, it's like um, I think Steve has been shot at this point, and then they're having a shootout with the guys in the bank, and then there's like a civilian that runs past in a high vis jacket in the middle of where they're shooting in the direct firing line and get shot 
and it's like, okay, I guess I've never been in a situation where a gun's been brandished or fired at me, and I guess there's the fight or flight response. But in that situation, I, you wouldn't think to yourself, where's the safest place I can be in the middle of where the guns are being shot? <laughs> I actually have been in that scenario. Really? And I, I, I hood behind, I, I, I hid behind a like a hot dog warmer thing in a gas station. Uh, and I didn't move until the shot stopped. That was, and, and everybody around me was doing the same thing. Nobody was like, I better run in the between where people are firing guns right now. That'd be the safe place to be. <laughs> well, that leads to my next question. Uh, Travis, America, guns, go. <laughs> um, about one third of our country owns enough to kill the other two thirds 10 times over. And they're, and they think that the, the, possession of those guns is tantamount to their own individual freedom like if you took those guns away then they're enslaved that's america i i know there's the whole sort of uh, the nra the right to bear arms kind of thing and to quote an old prophet america fuck yeah fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean to, i mean obviously on the i guess kind of the unavoidable sort of topic of guns because there's a lot of them in this film it looks like this this movie, I suppose, uh, sort of kind of was based on uh, the the infamous nineteen ninety seven North Hollywood shootout, um, which is, for all intents and purposes, uh, I'm not trying to glamorize it or glorify it, uh, much more interesting than the film that we get sure. here. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're recording this on the twenty sixth of February, twenty twenty two. We're almost twenty five years to the day that this happens but it's then quite recent memory um mm. there was two heavily armed and armored bank robbers went into a north hollywood branch of the bank of america and i'm going to try and give the most abridged ver version possible because there's a lot of information here yeah um basically huge firefight followed um in which basically the police officers at the time were outgunned outmatched did not have the weaponry to retaliate in the situation they were running to local gun stores to get restocked on stuff uh 12 officers and eight civilians were injured uh the two robbers eventually killed one shot himself and the other bled to death as a result of multiple gunshot wounds apparently got shot in the leg like nearly 30 times and yeah, had that'll to, do it and <laughs> pussy um and then had to wait <laughs> like nearly an hour before the police could enter like this hot zone so bled to death this ensuingly uh sparked a debate about the arming of police officers in the united states for similar situations and i, I know every state's got its different rules and stuff i think the lapd from what i read now carry ar-15s a sort of standard issue um and this firefight here nearly an hour long uh, it said that nearly 2,000 rounds were fired collectively, and it's described as one of the most intense gun battles in U.S. police history, which is almost the most all the most American thing I've also read. Um, which it's, it's it's kind of crazy, and it's kind of crazy to see, I suppose, as well. I guess it, the ramifications that it still has today, and one of them being that we had to watch this movie as a ramification <laughs> <laughs> of 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 this. Of this gunfight, so um, it's it's quite crazy. I think there's been some documentaries about it. I think there's police museums where they have like the armor that was worn and the weapons. Yeah, and uh, speaking of heat earlier, that was also there's a big se sequence in that that was partially inspired by that as well. It's kind of crazy that you know the things that have the ramifications that we still um, we still talk about. 
Yeah. Today. Well, it's a, you know, it's an arms race. You know, if the criminals have really good guns and the, the police have, need to have really good guns. But of course, now it's so lopsided in our country that there are many cities in our country where the cops literally have a higher budget than the militaries of many other countries in the world, the entire country, just for one city. It's like, you're, well, that's excessive. Uh, so it's not just the it's not just the civilians that have too many guns. It's literally the police in our country. There are, there's more guns than there are people in, in my country, which is not a good idea. It's mad. And if I had any kind of like editing prowess, I'd edit in the sound of like eagles, the American national anthem <laughs> right now, fireworks, Fifth of July, all this stuff. It's, freedom. It's, it's all like, freedom. Ah, well, smell it. We've got Brexit, which is a kind of freedom, not the one most of us wanted, but it's it'll do. Um, well, that's 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 similar to this. It's like one person's definition of freedom is what I define as you know shooting yourself in the foot, so to speak. <laughs> well, <laughs> unfortunately, people who are getting shot, like it's yeah, it's kind of like I guess the media doesn't help and like films don't help and stuff. It's kind of you think of America and you think. Well, guns, that's kind of normalized. It's kind of like desensitized in a way. But over here, like when, when gun crime happens, because it's so, not that it doesn't happen, but it's like sporadic by comparison. It's like, holy shit, guns here. And when I've seen like uh, like armed officers just out in the city, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm just going to walk slowly, not do anything weird. Um, don't, it's like, don't look at the gun, don't look at the gun. And I realize <laughs> I'm just looking at the officer going, don't look at the gun. <laughs> <laughs> you're speaking out loud daryl <laughs> so, and it makes it seem like i've got a gun on me uh, um but it's you know just uh it's just a crazy crazy thing um that yeah, we st- still deal with now and and then when it when it got to, to the point sort of towards the end and this is when like uh SWAT have finally turned up and you know we're talking about it again more characters turning up there's like yeah. Yeah. four SWAT characters um there's Captain Horst who they go to the site of the the explosion first and we're reminded about five times that they've got snipers set up yeah um and then they finally go to the, the gun shootout um and more cops have turned up at the shootout. They've been able to get Steve and Mike out. They end up losing Kenny. Um, and then he makes that kind of call. He hot wires the battery to the phone. He calls his mother because Lisa's gone to the hospital to see Steve. And throw herself on his body mid-surgery, which is never a good idea for the record. <laughs> like the man's got an open wound. He's literally critical. There's literally a scalpel in him, and she jumps on top of him in that moment. I'm like, that's a bad idea. <laughs> and then there's, there was another cop who got like sniped in the back, and then she's like, "What happened?" She's like, "There's a bullet in my back. I'm not. Uh, can we talk like literally later?" Yeah, not Are chatty you... right now. <laughs> <laughs> got some other things on my mind. If it's all the same to you, no disrespect. I know you know we're all kind of suffering here. Uh, there was one bit in the shootout as well, because um, you you were saying as well, like they had like, the whole tourniquet on Steve, and Kenny's like trying to keep it like pulled tight. Yeah, and Cage like runs to the uh, the boot of the car, and I suppose it's worth noting as well. One of the mercenaries is played by Western Cage, Cage's yeah. son as well. Um, Western Cage doesn't really do a lot except smoke and go, uh huh. <laughs> 
we get a feel for his acting chops for sure. I mean, like, you know, come on. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, yeah. There's a scene where he's aiming down like a sniper scope. He's got a clean shot on like Chandler's head. Um, shoots, misses. Chandler doesn't react at all. He just completely no-sells the snipe. And I'm like, okay, maybe you're thinking about like the first aid kit, but like, your son just shot at you. Have a word. (laughs) He even like turns and talks to uh, McAvoy in that moment and Kenny. uh, And like, well, there's like bullets, or maybe I'm thinking of later when it's uh, the the other cop that that kind of assists him later. But at one point he's getting shot, and he just like doesn't even move. He just like turns and talks to someone while bullets are shooting around him. I'm like, what are you what are you doing right now? This isn't safe, Nick. It's like I'm I'm the main character. I'm protected. <laughs> exactly. Bullets just like curving around him like he's fucking head. Um, I want I want to throw some credit this movie's way and so, and where we're at in the movie too. For one, I do like, despite the way it's handled, because it's so over-the-top melodramatic, but I do like that when a character gets shot in the leg, it's not like, oh, I'm fine. I'm going to walk around now for the rest of the movie, and I'm not affected by this bullet in me. In fact, no, it's a it's a near-fatal event, and that's good. That's realistic. And I also, I also thought that um, the whole shootout that takes place with the Hyde character in Cage, where eventually Cage, like he like, the guy goes and carjacks some poor woman and shoots her and, and gets in the car and Cage has to shoot him in the head while he's driving. I'm like, okay, that was actually a decent action sequence. I kind of felt for like I kind of felt for the civilian that gets shot in the head. I'm like, this is brutal. This movie's fucking brutal. But uh <laughs> but yeah. I did think it was you know for for what was going on with the rest of the movie, which is a lot of subpar moments, I did feel like that action scene in particular was pretty well done i'll give him that yeah this this is the thing it's like it's not to say that even though i suppose i mean realistically the film is like 85 percent of its runtime is action sequences and shootouts i guess like there are one or two of them that are done serviceably well like yeah that one where like cage kind of gets like a cool moment and he just like headshots that guy and mm-hmm. um and exactly like you were saying as well it, this isn't like some kind of rambo deal where it's um uh characters taking bullets and keep on chugging like right. you take a bullet shot you go down um i think it, it's a if you are cage's partner in this that's a poison chalice you're going to get killed <laughs> i think he goes for about 17 partners in this yeah, right. just respawning um <laughs> Like Steve dies of his wound, and nope, Steve lives. No, of course ugh, he does. There's so many partners that I just can't. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know Steve lives, but he he does. Uh, he like ninety five percent. It looks like he's he's out. Like you're like, oh, this character is very dead. Because I, I was just uh, thinking because there was that bit where they've lost Kenny because he's hiding in the back of the car. Kenny becomes like the least high priority on their list. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then he's. Uh, then he goes into that meeting with the SWAT team and he get that one sort of like cage up. It's like, my son is dead. My son, he has a child on the way. Yeah. Because um, it, it's and, a cage uh, out. He gets the one little cage out. And I suppose I should stress, it, that is a warranted cage rage right there. Yeah. That's a, yeah. He's um, brain SWAT for being an hour late. But they're like, how can I move when the maze in my ass? It's hard to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then he, 
he gets like the EIL because he's like, like they're gonna do their breach thing. Kenny's my responsibility. I've got to go and get him. And then that other cop turns up and is like, "I'm with you all the way, Mike." And I'm like, right. "You see him in like one shot earlier when they kind of." having like that kind of like cop banter it's like like oh finally like my granddaughter's pregnant steve did it and it was like could have been worse could have been you and he was like is it because i'm black and cage goes oh yeah um, and he laughs and then we, we all and have the, kid, a, the guy the guy laughs he's like laugh. <laughs> we're all laughing about it and like um and then later he's like yeah we're brothers <laughs> Like it, it's kind of established that like, oh, you know, we're we're workplace friendly, and then suddenly it's like a hand on the shoulder, oh, go wherever you go. Like I can't right. carry the ring, but I can carry you, Mister Furrow Cage. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like this guy, again, like I cannot stress this enough. There are so many characters in this. So many. I don't know what his name was, and then he just, he just, he's on the floor and he's dead. Yeah. I was like, what? He follows around for a little while, then he then he get, then he doesn't even show him get shot. He gets like shot off screen and just turns around and he's dead. Uh, but to go real quickly back to that uh, monologue of Cage when he's when he does get the cage out, it's probably the best acting that he does in the movie as well. I mean, like he, he's yelling and like you say, justifiably. But as I was watching, I'm like, wow, like I really like he's trying to report to his officers and he's like super amped up and you get the feeling that he's like still like in shock and the adrenaline's like running. I'm like, yeah, this is this is actually, you know, I, I got to take this moment because as you do, we, we both love Cage. This is the, the finest. This is why I watched the movie. Literally, the whole fucking movie to, to me is worth this one scene where he gets an <laughs> opportunity to act act well and the dialogue is not terrible and there's this it's all been contextualized enough that it like it, it rings true so uh if you watch this movie pay attention in this particular scene i mean you've got to get about to the what the 70 minute mark just to yeah. get to that that point it's real late game stuff but i, I entirely agree it's like this is what I was saying before. You had all that sort of clunky exposition earlier. Like, here are the here's the list of things that Cage's character has been through, which yeah. none of them are relevant to the character of Rory's film. No. Um, it's just, oh, my relationship with my daughter strained because you're told it is. Um, but then he's like, oh, Casey does care a bit. He had that sort of thing, as you said earlier, with um, Kenny in the car. They have that bonding moment. And like, oh, yeah, I probably would have hit the bullies as well. And it's like, oh, finally, someone someone feels something. Someone has a pulse in this film. <laughs> um, and then what made me laugh, though, because they, they kind of make this whole deal that, like, Kenny's lost. They don't know where he is. Yeah. And then you suddenly find that Cage is, well, Chandler has found Cage. Chandler's found Cage. He, I mean, he needs to find some kind of soul. <laughs> Chandler has found Kenny. And we know this because Cage is aiming down the scope of a, like a rifle at him. I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, why don't you cut to a shot and show him how his fingers are not on the trigger here? If you, because he's literally in Cage's sights. <laughs> yeah, because I like that shot. I was like, oh, like has the, the sniper's in Kenny and Kenny's, Kenny's in danger. It's like, nope. And then they just run to the car <laughs> and they Kenny. get him out. <laughs> I was like, yeah, why I, are you I, aiming at him? <laughs> what? I did the same thing. It shows him in the scope. You're like, oh no, this is the sniper. Then it cuts to Cage. You're like, oh no, it's Chandler doing it. Why is he pointing a gun at this child? It's like, you know, if if Shackleton took like a massive swing at a twist and just said like, Cage is the fifth man and he just took Kenny out and be like, fuck, okay, now we've got a film. Yeah. Um, obviously that didn't happen. Um, 
but then this is you know this is the SWAT team time and this is the final play of the mercenaries they uh, they slip a bomb into one of the pockets of the hostages and they're just like oh they put something in my pocket um the captain finds it and then he uh sacrifices himself and it's an explosion but it's kind of such a dud of an explosion it's quite clearly a rag doll that just goes <laughs> and you see its limbs just flop around and it's just a puff of smoke i was like what a way to like diminish like one of the only noble things a character has done in this film because there's a lot of dumb characters in this kind of making like odd decisions and I, I didn't know that character's name until I had, until I referred to the IMDb later. Like I knew the face. I was like, oh, okay, so this is Horst. All right, because because and in the moment of the of the movie, I was like, who is that that just died? I missed that. <laughs> it's again like you you watch a film like this, and it's it's very forgivable just to forget the characters because yeah. Again, I, ca- I cannot like undersell like how many characters are introduced in such close succession of time, and they continue to be introduced. And um, I guess even to his credit, even though Cage, you know, this is a film he's slept walk through. He has slept walk through through films like this, and yeah. I don't think it's unfair to say that this is. I guess, irrespective of the reasons why he starred in this film, this is a film that is beneath Cage and his talents. Um, and he knows it, which is why he said what he said about <laughs> the bait and switch on the, on the script. <laughs> I mean, it's one of these things where, you know, um, it's always interesting to look at Cajun films like this because, uh, you know, maybe it's some, it's I need the money kind of thing. Maybe there is a part of it where it's him going back to his independent cinematic roots. Um, and you don't always know what kind of cage you're going to get, but there is just a lot of cage in this 2010s era of straight-to-DVD where it's very similar, very underplayed, very subtle cage. It's not the memeified cage that we know. Well, I think that there's some evidence for why he did that in some of the interviews that he gave for Pig recently, for uh, Michael Sarnowski's Pig, because he he talks in a few recent interviews about how he was how he's been searching for and waiting for some young director or like first-time director who would give him a good role with a good part and that he would just kind of like fill in time in the meantime, but he was deliberately taking chances on directors. And this movie, um, 211, it, I mean, it's, it's not Shackleton's first movie, but it's his first like big movie, quote unquote. Mm. And it feels in a lot of ways, like a student film. I mean, it literally feels like a, like an, like an amateur production. And I, and I think that he took this movie cause he was like, yeah, it's a quick shoot. Uh, you know, it'll be in it's in Massachusetts, wherever it was. It was, you know, it was local or something. And like he was like, okay, this will be something, maybe an opportunity to to do some cool stuff and see where it goes. And I, I think that it was it, you can file that under his taking risks on young new directors thing. But he probably should have, you know, I don't know, looked more at Shackleton's previous stuff, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so looking at sort of the behind the scenes on this as well, and. As, as sort of harsh as this is going to sound, it looks like one of the best things that happened to Cage was that he broke his ankle while filming. Oh my god! Really? Um, they said that it was he was out of action for like four or so weeks. It was ascribed as just like a freak accident while filming. Oh. Um, I was trying to see if there was a moment in the film where you could sort of tell where it happened, and I don't know if this is the moment. But where we were talking about where they sort of make the run and get Kenny out of the car, there's 
it's kind of blinking, you'll miss it, but when they get him out of the car, there's a quick shot of them, like, going the opposite direction, and it looked like Cage limped for a second, so uh-huh. I don't know if he just <laughs> snapped his ankle uh, huh. in that scene or just trying to get out of the movie, really. But, and by the end of the film, the character is shot in the foot, right? Or shot in the leg. Because one of the last scenes we get of him is like the, this big cage foot, like filling the screen. <laughs> I wonder if it was the same foot. <laughs> Could have been that same. It's like cages on the ground. I mean, let's get this shot now. Yeah, exactly. But, um, I remember like when I was doing the Mandy episode, I was in my research. Uh, cage was saying like there was a lot of things that he put into the character of Red Miller. And he said that one of them, he didn't outright sort of name the film or sort of what had happened, but um, he alluded to the fact that he'd recently come off of crutches and he's like, he was really angry about that and he put that into the character. So it seems like 211 must have been filmed prior to Mandy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best thing that came out of 211 was Cage had fuel for Mandy. Which um, is one of the best performances he ever did. So that, that's well worth it. And all in 2018, when one Cajun door closes... Another is kicked open with the working ankle. Fucking A. <laughs> um, and I suppose, like, you know, towards the end of the film here, this is like the final uh, mercenary shoots Chandra in the leg, then Kenny shoots him, uh, then Rossi turns up to shoot, clip him twice in the arm. And my favourite part of this, there were like four SWAT officers in the background chasing after um, after him, and they're all firing, not one of them hit him. A stationary <laughs> shot target. All of them go full stormtrooper. Yeah. And this is after uh, Weston and the other uh, guy also. I mean, they get shot kind of unceremoniously. They're all just kind of running through the, the like you say, they just walk out the front and like, hey, let's take our chances. We got armor on, <laughs> and no helmet. And they all just kind of get mowed down. I think unceremoniously is like the best term there. And this is what I was saying, like all their planning goes out the window, they're like let's run in the direction of where we're being shot. Right. And then they're Literally. all just, it's like you, it's like you get to this point and then you have no escape plan. Um, I mean, they even like create this whole big chain of hostages where they link them together arm by arm, which would be a perfect way to walk out. But then they just send them all out chained together. It's like, why don't you walk out behind them? I mean, you're. I mean, I'm not. You know, I'm not advocating putting people at risk, but these guys are already like, you know, murderous as hell. So why not turn like have that like turn them into a human chain to walk out so they can't shoot you? Then you could shoot through the chain at the guards. Like if you're just gonna walk out, that would have been perfect. But instead, they just send them out, and he like slips like the world's tiniest grenade into <laughs> one of their pockets, which is what horse jumps on. Well, that's it. It's like, you know, like, I've never served. I've never been in a hostage situation, but I've got some ideas on how to use them. (laughs) (laughs) You're not advocating violence, but I am. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then they're all all unceremoniously just guns down, and that's that's the end of it. America wins. Guns win. One nil for guns. Guns were winning either way. America (laughs) was winning either way. (laughs) Um, and then we get the the whole one year later thing. Um, now this bit as well, this is just like wrapping up, tying up all the loose ends. Cage is back with his family. Um, Steve and Lisa have had their baby. Uh, Kenny is there filming as well. But the way this is shot, there is no way that Cage and the other actors were in the same place at the same time. <laughs> 
because he he comes in and he's kind of like in the hallway and you just see like a behind over the shoulder shot of like Steve and Lisa. So you never see their faces together in the same shot. Cage definitely right. had a broken ankle. Was like, I'm not returning to filming. I'll iPhone you my bits. You make it work in your little voodoo editing suite. Um, and it's just like, oh, well, you know, we get the ending we deserve. Yeah, it, it's kind of abrupt. He's like, you still got that? You still have that cell phone? I want some new pics. And then it cuts abruptly to black. You're like, oh, oh, it's over. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's quite an abrupt ending. But it's like, so Kenny, what's this Tinder? And then it's like <laughs> sm- smashed to black. Um, and that's that. And that's kind of like, yeah, like the film, you know. You could, it unceremoniously ends. The mercs are unceremoniously taken out. The whole film is unceremonious. Um, it's again. It, this is just a textbook case of a film for the cage completionists. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's it's. I think, in my opinion, you know, if they maybe just more solidly focused on just doing the North Hollywood shootout, which is just a more interesting tale in of a, of itself, and. They're trying to give every character some degree of some bullshit and just over padding and muddling it because it was yeah. such. Like I said, there's Cage had one line which was okay, right? He's a human being, and there was one or two okay action sequences, but it was so disjointed, um, and just laughably so. I mean, what what would be your sort of final takeaway on um two eleven here? <sighs> Uh, my final takeaway on 211 is that no way in hell would almost anyone watch this movie if almost anyone else was in it based on the reputation it has. I can't think of, and you know what? It almost, like it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, which was disappointing because at least, like we did Arsenal together, hashtag Southern Fury. Um, we did <laughs> yeah. we did that movie together, and that movie is bad, but it's it's bad good in my opinion. Like it's sure. it's silly, but like it's entertaining because it's so over the top and just like it's it's funny. And and like and, and this movie is just mediocre. It's just utterly bland, um, despite all of the rounds and a pretty decent effects of like the the diner being blown up and stuff. There is money sunken into this movie. And there is one or two actors that really are trying their best, or at least are good enough. Uh, And it's just like, this is, I wouldn't even recommend it to put this on while you're folding laundry. Like, it's just, it's just the most, it's, it's, it's one of the most who cares movies I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's, it's a movie that's not even worthy of being background noise. Um, Literally. And that's. And that's saying something. Uh, no, I, I entirely agreed. Entirely agreed. It's um, again. I've, I've said it, and I. This is what I say with all due respect to the other people who acted in this. Uh, this, it's not good, and it's not good in a fun way. It's there was such a better film in there if they'd gone in different yeah. directions. And yeah. I think I have to stand by it. This is a film that was really beneath Nicolas Cage. Um, and, I'll, you know, obviously Hollywood could interfere in stuff and the suits at the top will edit films as they, <clears throat> excuse me, edit films as they see fit. Um, and, you know, if Cage doesn't like the film, I don't like the film. I have to go where the golden hog goes and it's... Uh, it's a great point. And that's, you know, that's that's how we have, have to sort of wrap things up here. This uh, gets... Uh, 
a steaming shit from me. Uh, I rate this uh, an unpolished, unflushed turd. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish it was worse, so I enjoyed it more. Yeah, I, I, I wish it just went all in on just being terrible, but they were they were trying to say something here, and all they said was. Um, <laughs> uh, if you can't, see, yeah, obviously you can't see how I'm listening. I'm patting myself on the back for that joke. Um, so, so we uh, we come to the end here on the film to eleven, uh, and it's left for me to say uh, yet again, Travis Roy, thank you so much for joining. Always a pleasure to have you on board. Uh, probation passed. Um, <laughs> All right, <laughs> you did it. You did it. I'll we'll have your paperwork in on the. In the transit post, uh, awesome. coming through. Uh, but for the listeners, where can we find you on the socials and that such? So you can find me at. Uh, I got two podcasts. You can check me out at Cinema Nine Podcast. That's the numerical nine. Uh, you can also even even check out Daryl was on recently. He did uh, the Weatherman with us. Naturally, Nick Cage movie. Mm-hmm. I also have another podcast called the Best Film Podcast with Chad and Travis. By all means, check that out. So you can find. Those in the obvious social media places. If you wanted to follow me for some reason, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my last name is Roy. So R-O-Y-S-E-R-V-O-I-R. Roy Zavoir. At Roy Zavoir. So, and again, thanks for having me on, dude. It's always fun to sit here and, and talk about Nicolas Cage in any way because he's the best, even when he does the worst. What a wonderful sentiment to add on. Um, and as we wrap up there, uh, again, thank you to Travis Roy for joining. Uh, a joy all round. All the links in the description, as always. Uh, so that brings this week's episode to an end. Thank you so much for listening. If you have been, we will, of course, see you in the next one. But until then, and as ever, keep on, keep on caging. It's all we have to do. Thank you, take care, and goodbye.